This is Women Who Build Empires, a podcast celebrating women entrepreneurs and thought leaders who are turning the tables on outdated old school belief systems and building business empires that align with who they are, how they work, and how they are leaving a lasting legacy. And I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner, serial entrepreneur, investor, and business consultant for ambitious women entrepreneurs who are boldly taking their business to the next level. In each episode, you're going to get to know the women who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of how both success and failure have helped them become incredible CEOs. Hello, Empresses. I truly believe that each one of us has the opportunity to change and evolve our lives at least once. Um, and today's guest, my dear friend, Lee Tran, who is a coach, author, and speaker, shares her story of how she has reinvented her life, her business, the direction she's going into more times than I can count. Um, Lee came to the United States as a refugee from Vietnam. She later went on to become a research chemist and then opened a business as a high-end window treatment uh, designer and recently wrote her first book. Her story is so incredible and I love how she has turned every challenge into a learning experience and something that is truly, truly positive. So I hope you enjoy this one as much as I have. And stay tuned because in a few weeks, I have a very special announcement that I think many of you will really appreciate. Hey, Lee, you just completely like mic dropped me before we hit record twice which I don't think has ever happened on a guest. So one, you said the day that we're recording this um, is your 43rd anniversary from when you came to the United States. And I was just reading your bio and you were a, a research chemist. Yes. You had a business in window treatments and now you're an author and TEDx speaker like such a transition. Life is full of surprises, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even to myself. <laughs> Just share with everybody your story. Like, Yeah, that's it is a little complicated. That's why I wrote a book that was 13 hours of reading. <laughs> <laughs> And and that was just a short version, you know, up to 25 years of my life. And I have to say that, yes, I come from a very mo- multiple, uh, very diverse background. Even uh, I get up every day and surprise myself. What the heck am I going to be tomorrow? I don't know. You know, the next step is I want to be an artist sitting in a vineyard somewhere in Italy and start painting. That's what I am envisioning myself. I love that. Italy is so amazing. It it is. But to be short and uh, give you the answer, who is Lee Chuan? I was sort of I was a citizen in Vietnam being Chinese in a Chinese community. My dad had migrated to Vietnam when he was three. So that's all I knew. I was born in Vietnam and live a comfortable life. My dad had worked very hard 
a, a self-made man and very provide for the family and we were very comfortable and then out of a sudden you know the communists came in and the tank drove in saigon and we became uh one of those capitalists that being ransacked and being oppressed and we were in that condition for four years and then my dad took the risk to build a boat and took 502 people out to the sea to look for freedom. Not no map, no where to go, just out to the sea, hoping that somebody going to rescue us. But and it's like God literally did. built a boat. Well, he he had a team. He orchestrated an underground networking and build a boat with four other boat owners. They they invest money. And my dad was pretty much like a, a project manager. And he orchestrated, you know, he's a big, important role in that organization. Mm-hmm. And uh, one try and it succeed. You know, how many people actually escape and being pulled back multiple times. But my dad was a very meticulous, very methodical, very analytical. And uh, I I am so happy to say that I inherit some of his, you know, characteristic. So we did it one try and it succeed. Not to say that it didn't go through all the dangers that we went. Uh, we got pirated four times over, out in the open sea. And we were in the refugee camp for almost eight months. And January 3rd was the day that it was my first time get on the airplane, uh, flew across the Trans-Pacific and landed in Minnesota on January 3rd. <laughs> at the sub zero degree temperature. That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> what a transition tropical, between right? tropical to a sub degree. But um, that was the best six months, I have to say, since the journey of eight months in refugees and escaping and all this thing. So you. And that was 43 years ago. Today. That's incredible. So you sailed or boated. Out of Vietnam, where was the refugee camp? Um, so we sail out to the Gulf of Thailand okay. and then go into the open vastness of South China Sea and hoping that there's some international boats, some merchant boats or somebody out there that we can just rescue this little dinky boat with 502 people on board. Well, if you're curious, you're really curious about the story, you need to read my book. It's called I Did Not Miss the Boat because there's a lot of things, event, like major event that I describe that is really hard to go through right now. But the bottom line is we settled in Indonesia for almost eight months in four different islands before we get to the nice vastness of the snow land in Minnesota. And then after that, six months, was kind of like so slow for us. You know, all the journey that we went is all fast paced, fast paced, you know, being moving from one island to the next. And and then the, the years that we were in Vietnam is always in fast pace. And then Minnesota become like a standing still. Everything was so peaceful. It's so beautiful. They were all frozen. It's all frozen. <laughs> exactly. 
it's almost like you know your your free time and everything in the freezer and that's what we felt like and especially if somebody who has no understanding of the culture or the language or how to express themselves my parents become a mute and a a a deaf you know and suddenly i have to be the one who's learning so fast to learn everything so to be their voice to be their ears and eyes and everything and it didn't take us long that my parents feel like they need to find their own community yeah which is why we moved to philadelphia because uh-huh. you know he talked to his friend and and his friend say we have a chinatown here and that's all it took <laughs> my dad booked the greyhound bus trip you know uh within i don't know decision was made almost like you know overnight it's like we are leaving no matter how beautiful this is over here but they felt like they being you know in jail because they can't even express themselves right right now did you speak english then no uh i was just learning i actually spoke french at the time i in vietnam i learned four years of french with private tutors and I speak three different dialects in, Viet- in in Chinese and I speak Vietnamese and I took up French. And here I was, you know, in America trying to think in French and Chinese and Vietnamese to convert it to English, which is really nice still with the with the uh, Latin background in French. I was able to learn English a little faster, I would have to say. I mean, even though I didn't have to you know, memorize all those irregular verbs, but English have a lot of weird way of pronouncing things. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so that was a hurdle, but that made me learn things fast and make me mature before my age really fast. Mm-hmm. So when we moved to Philadelphia, I went to high school and went to college and uh, took a chemistry degree and become a research chemist doing organic synthesis in medicinal chemistry department in Wyeth Ares and also at Merck for 17 years. So how did you transition into window treatments? Um, so because that's when you and I met. Right. Um, right. We were both in Philly and we met at a networking organization and you made like the best, the most super cool, interesting customer. <laughs> yes, I love the introduction. I used to tell people, don't call me the blind girl or shady lady. <laughs> 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 because I am not, because, you know, nothing wrong with it. But, you know, a lot of people say I'm the shady lady. Or it's like, Mm-mm. I am the window fashion specialist. And I love that because I love to be creative. I sew. All my life, when I was a little girl, I, my mom was a tailor and I love fashion and I made my own clothes and I do a lot of those things. And when I was a research chemist, I want to do window treatment at my house. And I have people come from JCPenney and from, you know, some of the bigger window treatment company and they didn't look like they know what to advise or how to make that. So that triggered the curiosity in me. So I looked online, I took some professional drapery class down North Carolina, and I went home and I, I just started making all my window treatment for myself. And then my neighbors, my sisters and my church friends, everybody wants to do it. And that's how it's, it 
sprouted up the second career of a passion. And I am, I'm pretty sure you know me well enough that I'm a people person. I love to talk. I love to connect with people. And being the lab rat, you don't get that chance very much. No. You just you just pretty much, you know, talk to your chemical. And I used to talk out loud to my chemical, uh, my reaction. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I felt lonely. I felt um, being in the lab was a great thing, but I felt like my health had been deteriorated. My mental health, which I'm yearning for more people connection, uh, just just pushed me into the way that, you know, once I have friends that want to commission me to do the window treatment, and I saw the great opportunity out there. So I raised my hand for a, a layoff. When I saw the opportunities to get that package of a severance, and I did. Um, so it took a year for me to kind of work on my side hustle. And it became something that I see that I can succeed mm -hmm. to overcome the salary that I get from a big corporate. Right, right, right. And I did that. And it was still a lot more learning. I mean, when I met you, I already into like five, six years, which is like, I'm already switch gear and know how to network and how to go out and do collaboration because all of those are essential for being a business owner. Mm -hmm. I mean, being in in uh, a person that is just so and, and hiding my own basement would not bring me clients. So the arts of networking and being out and collaborating with people and, you know, it's just so good. Social media, all kind of thing, you know, people in my networking literally sent friends and clients to me just because I was out networking and get people to know me. Now, I've never served you, Amy. And already you said that you know how cool my window treatment is. It's part of the networking and you hear people say that. And that's why I feel it's so valuable yeah. that you know, you know, yeah. enough people out there to support you. Right. I mean, I saw pictures and I had a very brief stint at, in my Martha Stewart days and made some of the drapes and curtains in my first house. And it was uh -huh. really hard. And I'm not a sewer. So that might have yeah. been you know, some of the the challenge, but there was a lot of swearing and <laughs> a lot of, <laughs> trust me, I have those day too. I mean, it doesn't come easy, especially, you know, I love yeah. to play with something that is intricate and new and different. And uh, you convince your clients that's really good for them. And now you have to find a way to make it. <laughs> well, and I have such an appreciation in, in two things. One, window treatments may not seem like they're life-changing, mm -hmm. but they are. They are. You're you're transforming the way somebody is living in their house. Absolutely. And, and I've seen it um, with some of my clients who are professional organizers where yes. whatever's happening in that person's life, just making that simple change yeah. and create all this newness and all this energy and excitement and they start taking on things in a different way it or does. something for them. It's almost like, you know, you're dressing up yourself and yeah. you dress nice. You like the way you look, you'll be confident and love the way you feel. And if you're in the space that you feel appreciated, feel friendly, inviting, warm, you want to be lingering there more. 
Now, if you have a house that have no care for and just paper shades and, you know, nothing wrong with that, but it's all in your mind because now you're telling yourself that you're not worth it because you're in a sort of like a non-caring space. Mm-hmm. And and I'm a people pleaser and I love it. When I was young, I, w- I make clothes for, I had a little business with my mom in the refugee camp, making <laughs> clothes <you> for <laughs> other refugees i hope you read my book emma emmy one of this day you'll see what i'm talking about i and i love the feeling that people appreciate when you make a piece of really nice something that make them feel confidence mm-hmm. they wear it and they feel radiance they feel like they worth it yeah oh yeah yeah and the same thing when i decorate a client's home they say every time I walk into the room, it put a smile on my face and it remind me of you. That's the best compliment that I've ever, ever asked for. And that's the feeling I strive for. And for 10 years, 10 years. Um, and then and then I did a career switch because <laughs> this is another story for book two. So you're going to get a, a snip of it. <laughs> Ooh, ooh, are you writing the second book? I, I should be. Um, I've got <laughs> enough material. <laughs> I get enough material because the first book only ended when I started uh, at Wyeth. Uh, I started my chemistry job at Wyeth. And, um, and I felt like that is the boat that my parents had built. And the second boat is the, the boat that I built for myself mm-hmm. and the life that I lead for myself. And that's what I do. Um, I, I love the fact that I make an impact in somebody's families, give them a nurturing place to, to grow their children's, you know, to be happy. But I feel like I'm still couldn't find myself for because life was such a fast pace for me. All my years of struggling and growing up and uh, busy into the life of raising my own family, building my own career, I never really have the time to slow down to figure out who I really am. Mm. I felt like my identity has been switching fast and lost. So um, after my 10 year anniversary that I, I had a really great event to uh, support a charity. It's called uh, Winter Fashion Runway for a Cause. And the cause was for domestic violence uh, shelter victim. Uh, it's called Laurel House. Mm-hmm. And That's after nice. that, I have that postpartum depression. I felt like my life could be a bigger calling. I mean, sure, it was nice that I'm building nests and and, and places that for people to want to be on but I think you know I need to go back and find my old teenager self reconnecting with me and maybe make it into a bigger calling by helping others switching their mindset I mean it's it's really important to have that purpose in life to know why you're here and why you do the business that you're doing so as soon as I found out that that the whatever that does not serve me I walk away from it. And it's just a chemistry degree in a chemistry career in the research. It served me a really great purpose in that part of my life. And then the same thing with the window treatment. And now I feel like I got a bigger calling to serve women in a different way to boots up their confidence and boots up, you know, the things that to live free. Basically, that's what it is. Right. Like, I feel like I was giving an opportunity to be free in America and free meaning, you know, 
choose whatever you want to do with your life that you can feel that is purposeful, not irresponsible, but be purposeful. And that's what I'm doing. I I live a very purposeful life. And writing my book was something I never thought I could, mm-hmm. but I did. And I thought I never thought I could be a speaker. And I am a speaker and I'm also a coach. So never say never. <laughs> that's what I learned. Yeah. And that's what I love about you. I mean, you've gone through like totally different changes and evolved but you you are very clear about how you're helping people. Um, Thank you. And and I, I mean, it just it feels amazing. And obviously, you care very much not only about what you do, but but about helping other people. Yeah, I think you know, as a woman, I think a lot of people going through what I've go through, and maybe what you went through too. I mean, we all have our self doubt. We all have our self worth that we negotiate with other people, but we we never really put a stake on our own self and say that this is what I want. I should live for the cause that what I want to do. And moving to Florida is not a light decision because all my family, all my roots are still up north in right. Pennsylvania and New Jersey and, and battling the colds right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I figured that um, I am free. I don't have to bind myself just because my family's up there. I mean, my husband and I wanted to do something that, you know, more outdoor and and live a life and and it give me some time to reconnect with myself mm-hmm. and walk away from it. And, and I shouldn't feel guilty for breaking apart from my family because Asian family get a very tight unit. We're always like a very nuclear. And my mom's wish is like, we always <laughs> leaving next door to each other. So, <laughs> and that's not happening. And I'm still, you know, battling with my guilt about leaving them uh, that I moved to Florida to live my life. But you know what? It takes about five minutes for me to forget that uh, I'm free here. I, <laughs> I love the life down here and because my, you know, I'm accustomed to the hot climate, the warm climates, and it give me a way, it it give me a chance to be away from the hustle bustle, Mm -hmm. give me some peaceful time that I can think more about my life journey. And I think, you know, I advise everyone out there, take a chance to just slow and pause and reflecting on how quick, how fast the pace that you've been going in your life journey. And maybe you don't have to write a book, but even just tell your own story out loud can really help you to reprocess of what you're going through in your life. Mm -hmm. And the reason I did that, because um, I didn't think, I I I didn't plan, but I applied for the TEDx talk three years ago and I would call and being able to be on the TEDx stage and telling my vulnerable story about, you know, crossing the sea and built our lives together here in my family in America really opened a lot of door. People come and say, I want to hear more. I want to hear your story. Now, for many years, I didn't think people care about my story or anybody's story. You know, because your story is just ordinary to yourself. 
your story is always ordinary to you. And to me, it's like, oh, I know a lot of people get more trauma than I do. Why do people want to hear my story? And my friend's like, are you kidding me? I really would love to see your, mo- your, your story on the big screen. I was like, whoa, you know, I guess I, I have to start writing it. And I want to say that it has such a rewarding journey writing this book, um, my memoir. I have made impact all the way across the ocean to Australia, to Switzerland, to Germany, to like people who read my book felt that they were able to piece together some of the puzzle pieces that they seems like missing in their life because they were in a very similar situation with I was when I left Vietnam as a teenager. And sometimes adult parents and people who go through trauma don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then when they die, they took whatever trauma with them. And the children feel like they, you know, have a lot of puzzle, uh, things that they they couldn't put together. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think one of the things I really value about my parents is that they've talked about a lot of different aspects um, of life and past and what they want in the future. So we've, I grew up with that open conversation and that's what I raised my kids with. Yeah. You are very blessed. You're very yeah. blessed. Yeah. Because there's a lot of things that just don't worry me right. at all, ever. Right. Um, and I hopefully I've given that to my kids, but if we don't talk about the trauma too, yeah. like, then it just, it's just swept under the rug. It's, it's not easy to talk about it. I mean, no. when I wrote my story, uh, one of the writers group, one of the gentlemen in my writers group said that usually it takes 40 years for trauma to unfold for victim to willing to share about it. And which is funny because that was the 40th year of my anniversary here in America. Mm-hmm. And I start feel like I need to untold that, you know, I that story need to be let go. Yeah. Yeah, because that's, I mean, it's scary and unknown. You have to relieve the trauma. Just, yeah, you you left everything that you knew and that was comfortable to be in a boat. Yeah, but I'm I'm talking about even people who've gone through like Holocaust uh, or veterans, you know, yeah. they don't want to talk about it because it just reminds them with a lot of suffering that they need to go through again. And when I wrote my memoir, that's what happened. I went through a really months of depress of going back to the place that where I wanted so bad to not think about it, not remembering it. But it was healthy because it processed the wound. It's kind of healed. And yeah. I think people need to, to it, it's as hard as it is, people need to take some time and reprocess it and look in the bright sides that you hear. You're here. I mean, the past is just the past. You need to let it go. And the book is a big conversation, sort of me with my dad, sort of, you know, I want to honor his legacy. And it feels so good that I am able to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm really super um, proud that that wounds has been healing. Yeah. What have you, what do you feel like you've been able to take in newly since writing the book and and healing some of those wounds? Well, 
a conversation with my dad. Like I said, every time we have a conversation with somebody else, I feel like I his his um his sacrifice is not going, you know, in vain. Mm-hmm. He is being remembered and because he has sacrificed my mom too, my parents and not just my parents, thousands of hundreds of thousands of millions of refugee people who left their country. Why? Because they want to give that freedom and the education, the chance of education for their children. And that's what my parents did. I mean, without that chance, I don't know what I would become right now in Vietnam. Uh, maybe raising nine kids that, you know, <laughs> out in the street. Or who knows? You know, I, I don't know. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have a chance to to be who I am today. I feel like, you know, I am giving a chance of education that okay. they never had. I'm the first one of both sides of the family who graduated with a college degree. Wow. And, and well, my dad's only got to the third grade and my mom was the fifth grade. And when I left Vietnam, I, ha- I had the eighth grade education, the combination of both my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And when I come to America, that's all I wanted to do, go back to school, uh, which I did. Mm-hmm. And I could have gone further for the master degree, but at that time, I already knew I didn't want to stay as a chemist for so long. Um, I like what I did. It paid well. And, you know, I was able to help to get a drug out on the market to help uh, treat AIDS victims. That was one of my very proud accomplishments. And I felt like, you know, I need to have that human connection. I need to have to be out to see people again. And I'm glad I did that move because uh, every journey teach you something. And being a chemist taught me a lot of things. Yeah. To be patient, to be analytical, to look for things in, to do research before you jump into a conclusion of doing anything. So, I mean, I, I take that possession and, and run with it. Absolutely. But yeah. Uh, now I feel like, I have been equipped with enough tools that I can help other people. I want to help the 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 girls that I was, the ladies that I was, self lack of self confidence and afraid to do things. You know, I want to help those people. Yeah, and how have you how have you made those shifts in your own life? By jump ship like that, just, just doing it. <laughs> I just well, but it was not. It, it was a really bold move for every single thing that I do, but it wasn't reckless. Right. Like I have carefully planned and planned. A, B, and C have all laid out before I do that. And even when I was, um, now I didn't plan much when I left Vietnam, right? Because I was still young. But once I got into the pharmaceutical world and I planned for a whole year and even with the recession, I left Merck at the end of 2005 and started my business 2006. And you all know that what 2008 felt like with the housing market, nobody is doing anything. I was in the slum of bankruptcy because, you know, there's no business. But I took that chance, Amy. I took that chance to go out and networking and build a name for myself. I took that chance to do marketing, to learn stuff. So it wasn't any lost time. So when the economy is back, 2010, I'm already in mainline collaborating with 
big store, fabric store, and I'm already get my name out there. So in, in uncertain time, you can either take it as a loss and, and just stay home and cry or find a different way to do something totally bold, but not without a plan. And even same thing would come to Florida. It sounds like an abrupt move, but that move had been already kind of brewing my head and my husband's head for over a year. And we yeah. knew that we have plucked the, you know, just rip the bandaid and do it because we keep saying someday we're going to do some retirement and we know we're not going to retire. You know, my personality and him, we, we just don't sit still. So, um, but we built a cushion that we know that even with uncertain time, we can come down here, build a life and slowly take shape. So it, it was not reckless. Yeah. I just want to let people know that always do a bold move, but don't do it without a careful planning. Yeah. And this is what I'm really curious about for you too, is because it's easy to get into the planning and the research and stay there and not ever do the thing. Yeah. Right. Cause then you're perfecting yeah. it. Um, and I've seen this with, um, I've seen it with myself, but I've seen it with my clients too. Yes. Right. Yes. And my clients have me to give them that little shove of, all right, it's time to do the thing now. Yeah. Like, how do you get from research to action? Yeah. Particularly when something's really scary. Right. So everything's begin with the small action. And I'm sure you know that once you take the small step action, mm -hmm. then it would just bound back the react. And then you're going to expand that action a little more. So when I know that I want to start being out there and make connection and tell story. So I went Toastmaster and I learned the skill of public speaking because I knew that was my weak point. English was not something that I'm proud to say that, you know, I have a good foundation on. So I have a limited amount of time to make the first impression and I need to train how to say things succinct and how to be myself, but with an intention. And little step that lead me to a bigger step, networking. And I love networking with women. Not that I don't like men. I went to the chamber and I make friends with men, but um, they always impose that that intimidation that my dad gave me when I was young. So, you know, whatever you have experienced in your early life usually take effect in mm -hmm. your adult life. Um, but women generally very nurturing, very friendly, and obviously you attract to the people that you want to attract, right? Wh right? Who you are, you attract to. And I have attracted to a very good crowd of very nice, friendly people like you, uh, many of of the uh, networking friends, uh, I think Femme City particularly that yeah. I was in the networking in. And that seeing people inspire me, I inspire other and you take bigger step, you take bigger step and that's how you do it. But if you just keep your theory and your research in your room and never step foot outside or take action to do it, I mean, even the pandemic, I didn't shy to just jump on Zoom and start talking, even though I don't know who's listening or not. But <laughs> <laughs> I created a, a conversation weekly and I'm start going live and that take guts and it feel very uncomfortable. 
But if you jump over that first hurdle and take the action and things start to get a little easier each day. Mm -hmm. So that's how I move. You know, I move far by taking small step. I crawl. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so perfect because I think you build more momentum and each little step is scary, but it's not as overwhelming as the whole thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't take a big bite. Just nibble. Yeah. Just little nibbles. It's that 1% incremental right. improvement. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, it's not too scary when you think, okay, I'm just going to do one little speech today. And then if you, even, you know, you know, just don't think about you're going to stand in front of a thousand people. Just think about, you know, I'm sitting here and talking to my friend. She's Amy. <laughs> so that, that get over the scary thoughts. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. how it got me going. And sometimes, you know, you, you heard Mel Robin, that, that five, four, three, two, one. I don't even count. I just, you know, people say, who wants to speak? I just raise my hand real fast because I know the longer I prolong, the oh, scarier yeah. I am. I'm start to talking myself out of it. Oh, yeah. I'm always like, let me just get it over with because yes. they've already forgotten how bad I sucked. And by the end of it, <laughs> so. yeah. So yeah, call your clients. If you if you feel like, you know, you want to talk to your client, just pick up the phone and do it. Don't even think about it. Yeah, it's the thinking that I think. But you know, be. I know it is always easier to say than done. Yes. Yeah, well, of course. And when you're that committed and you're that passionate, that yeah. little nibble really <laughs> makes the difference. Go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. In addition to your book, which we're going to have the um, links in the, the show notes for so people can buy it. You had another offer um, available to invite people into your circle too. Do you want to talk about yes. that? Well, I know that your audience are most business uh, people. Yeah. So I I know how critical it is to be able to speak in front of public as a business person. Right. And I have a a freemium uh, if you go to www.leetrans.com/freemium you can opt in and I have a five tips to maximize your business through public speaking. Awesome. Awesome. Well, and we'll have uh, to it's a little, you know, too. tip that you can, how you can craft your pitch or your yeah. people call it elevator pitch. I don't really care for that term. I think, you know, it's just to tell people about who you are, what's your story. So you can connect with people in a deeper level. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And don't sell the first time. I mean, I'm always like, you know, make friends first. Right. Yeah. I always love those people in networking groups where it's like they're just handing out their cards. Right. right? Or they like trying to Meaningless. get on their email list. And I'm right. like, I first of all, I almost never give out a business card. Like you have to be really <laughs> in a special place for me to give a business card out. But I want to know that person. Like Right. Yeah. For me, business card is just where did they look you up? How do you they friend with you or call you if they need to something? But I think, you know, and that's why I'm so passionate about sharing stories, because stories really much create a deeper understanding, empathy, and you extract the similarity that we have with each other more than the differences. And, you know, how can I help 
you, yeah. oh, you have a son, I have a son, we have something in common, you have, you know, you've been through, you know, talk about the similarity, talk about the common ground, and connect from there. And then see, you know, maybe she or he does not need what you provide, but maybe they know somebody who needs what you provide. And that's what I'm looking for, you know, connection, friendship, Mm-hmm. And many of the people that I know at networking, we never exchange any transaction, but we exchange plenty of stories and become really great friends. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm going to say all of my friends at this point, I've met through networking mm-hmm. in one way or another. And it's I love it. Me too. I, mean, I, I love just the human connections. Why I wanted to have this podcast um, and share the stories because I think people are so interesting and everything that we've been through and how that impacts us and the decisions we make, I, I find fascinating. Yes. If somebody else- and sometimes those friendships become client. You never know. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. People see the, the talents you have and they want to tap into it. And they're willing because they already trust you because they know your story. They know who your character is. They want to work with you. And that's yeah. the best clients. Yeah. Because right? they with you and then they'll bring other clients. So absolutely. Exactly. Now tell me one thing, Amy. I'm going to ask you. Why do you, <laughs> why do okay, you change your podcast? Table. I know. I'm, 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 I'm just, what is the podcast name now? You told me well, you just change it. For Women Who Build Empires. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. So yeah. what was it before? Tribe of Leaders. Okay. So, They're both good. They're both good. Oh, but I love you. women who thank build you. Just, I've had so many really cool women on like yourself who <laughs> um, have fascinating stories. And I want to showcase that. And Well, I'm not sure I build an empire, but I love that idea. <laughs> you have an empire. You have an empire. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I think we all have an empire within ourselves. Yeah. Right. We just have to show it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So share with everybody where they can connect with you. I am pretty much everywhere. Uh, If you go on Facebook or you go to LinkedIn is Lee Tran speaker and coach. Okay. Or you just type Lee Tran, you're probably going to see my website. The first thing, L E A T R A N dot com. Yeah, I, my yeah. life is my story, and usually I do a lot of stories, and I start to do a, a storytelling community down here, which is we meet monthly, and we exchange stories. Oh, that's fun. Yes. Yes. You do a different theme? Like how do, how does the story? I do. Work? I do. Okay. Every month I have a different theme. And I would start with my own story. And then I would go around, ask people to share their story. And it's really beautiful to hear so many extraordinary stories out there that normally people don't talk about. You know, but if if you're being the first one being vulnerable and say, here's my story. Do you have one that you, you know, it's a safe space. And oh, that was, that was, you know, it's a beautiful community where people trusting each other and they all walk out knowing each other, very compassionate, very mm-hmm. empathy with each other. And it just is it's a lovely way to build a community. And when you say you are a community builder, I am with you 100%. We're mm-hmm. in the same boat. 
We are, we are. <laughs> and I'm so glad and grateful. Thank you. Um, Me too. Lee, it's been amazing to have you on. And I am I'm so grateful and so appreciative of you sharing your story and talking about moving through that imposter feeling um, as well. Thank you. And I do a lot of talking with book clubs. So, I mean, I know that sometimes we cannot do an in-person, but I do Zoom if, you know, if you know any book clubs, people who want to read a compelling oh, cool. book. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. That'd be so much fun. Have everybody yeah, we had a lot of great fun. On? Yes. Yeah. Ask the author anything. And people was like, you know, it's like things that jump out. And um, it's just surprising to hear so many similarity, even though some of the people have never been to Vietnam or even know the people in Vietnam, but they have the same feeling as a family dynamic dynamic between me my mom and my mom my dad and you know it's just really fun to hear yeah it's I'm sure Midwest, somewhere in the nowhere land is like yeah my family's exactly like that too <laughs> we're all a little bit crazy I know yeah <laughs> that's the it's fun good. of it you know mm-hmm. good well thank you for this opportunity to share with your audience Amy I really appreciate to have me on here you're so welcome I love having you on it was wonderful thank you it's my hope that you find at least one nugget of value in each episode of women who build empires and if that's true please follow and share women who build empires with your friends and leave a review on apple podcast your support is what will help this podcast be found by more women just like you